James chapter 3. If you remember last week where we talked about the tongue. Our tongues, when they're unbridled, they have the power to steer our entire lives. Remember that? Such a joy, kind of like a wildfire. One simple spark, and what happens? Ignites a great fire. And how when we speak out of the depths of our hearts all the venomous things that we can say, how we just light our lives on fire and the lives of others. We just burn down the potential. We destroy instead of build up. And we're all susceptible. We're, we all do it from time to time. We're all, you know, just, we're all sinners. <laughs> we blow it. But nonetheless, James is looking at his church and he's saying, guys, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures can do all these crazy things, but we can't even tame our own tongues. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. What a contradiction. Verse 9 of chapter 3, James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from that same spring? My brothers and sisters, can fig trees bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, if we're born again, and Jesus says in you will be uh, uh, rivers of, you know, torrents of living water flowing out of our lives as we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, as we're abiding in Christ, this relation is supposed to happen. That the things that are supposed to flow out of our hearts and out of our mouths are supposed to be of Him, to His glory. And he's saying, if that's not what's flowing out, then what's in there? There's a contradiction. And sadly, you know, each of us, we go through this stuff from time to time, some of us more than others. If we're born again, how can we also let our tongues to speak with such evil? You know, what comes out of our mouths reflects what's in our hearts, Jesus spoke of. If we claim to be born again, we must crucify that area of our lives. We have to reckon it dead. That's hard. And then it come, pops up every morning, doesn't it? Bad mood? <laughs> Talk about speaking in tongues. I mean, those who belong to Christ have crucified their sin, <laughs> sinful nature with its passions and desires. Ouch. We're continually reckoning ourselves crucified with Christ. That is a, talk about a discipline, talk about discipleship. Hey, that sin nature no longer should have that dominion over me. I should no longer be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, a slave to the Lord. You know, let our speech reflect Christ in our hearts. If that's really what's in our hearts, if if He saved us and we're born again, let that reflect it. Remember the stop start we talked about last night, last night, last time in Ephesians. Stop cutting everybody down and start building everybody up. That conscious decision to submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, Spirit-filled songs to one another. This is the kind of speech that should be pervasive 
in our culture. Not cutting each other down, but building each other up. Yes, speaking the truth in love. This is wise and it honors the Lord. Now in, in verse 13, James starts speaking of wisdom. In chapter 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish or demonic, depending on your translation. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you also find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom. Knowledge is having a bunch of information, but wisdom is, how do you, what do you do with that? How do you make decisions in your life? Sorry about that. How do you make decisions in your life? If you say that you have true wisdom, is it earthly or godly? If your life is marked by harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, Don't fool yourselves. That's not from the Lord. That's not from the Lord. Sorry, guys. I need to replace that. That is not from the the Lord. It's actually, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. Unspiritual. It's demonic in nature. It doesn't come from the Lord. That's the way the world works. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Think about it. Our culture lifts that stuff up and it preaches it to us day after day. That's how it operates. That's how the world operates. Harboring bitter envy. What does that mean? Desiring what others have with zeal. A hostile jealousy. I mean, you ever flipped on reality TV for, for five minutes? Bitter envy. Hostile jealousy. It's the mode. It's worshipped. It's lifted up. We've got a whole generation of people who are thinking this is okay. This is good. That's our default, ladies and gentlemen, in America. That is, that is the default of our country now. We're being raised with this. It's okay to want what other people want and hate them for having it and desire to take it from them. That's standard practice. Timothy speaks about in the last days, people will be lovers of self. Disobedient, all these types of things. In the last days, here we are, here we stand. It's prevalent, you know? And it doesn't just, you know, just because we call ourselves Christian doesn't mean we're not susceptible to it. Here we are, selfish ambition. The other one, Desiring to put our needs above others. Anybody done that? Doing whatever it takes to make yourself number one at all costs. Walking over people, cutting people down, lying, murder. Whatever it takes to make number one, number one. 
that reflects our culture? Does it reflect us? In our business practice, are we seeking to cut others down so that we would go ahead of them? Or are we lifting them up, making them better workers, even at our own cost, even at the cost of our own promotion? Are we thinking of others? Or is it all about me and what I can do and and how I can achieve more and me and my glory and yes? This is earthly wisdom. This is not from God. The world says, assert yourselves, doesn't it? Assert yourselves. The Lord says, humble yourselves and he will lift you up. The world says, if you want to get it all, get it all at all costs. Do whatever it takes. The Lord says, don't covet, but be content with what you have. It's a a humble attitude. The world's wisdom says, the greatest person has the most servants. What does the Bible say? What What does the Lord teach through his actions? Jesus said that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. He's the servant. It's the upside down kingdom. So what kind of wisdom marks our lives? Man's wisdom marked by bitter envy and selfish ambition. For wherever you have uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder in every evil practice. Kind of finding that in our lives? Or we have God's wisdom, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is the kind of wisdom, it's going to be marked by these things. First of all, it's pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. You know, when we're making our decisions in life, you know, this is a perfect passage of Scripture to come to you and say, Lord, this kind of reflects your heart in decision-making. I would say this is spirit-led. When we look at it and say, you know, is this decision pure? Is it, is it, is it evil at all? Is there evil in it? Is it a peace-loving decision? Is it a peace-making decision? Is the decision divisive? Is it going to cause harm to others, you know? Godly wisdom is going to be considerate. You're thinking of how this will impact others above your own impact when you're making decisions. Boy, if this is how God thinks. Just think about him sending his own son. Was that beneficial to himself? Boy, it sure was a benefit to us, wasn't it? He went through pain. He wasn't thinking about himself as much as he was us. Now, in the big picture, obviously, it brings him glory, yes. But that love that gives. It's submissive. It's submitted to God. It's not rebellious. There isn't this contentious spirit to it. God's wisdom is full of mercy. It's desiring not to punish people for what they've done. Desiring not to give people what they deserve. How many of you want to give people what they deserve? I am captain, give people what they deserve. Boy, in the measure that you use, it will be used towards you. It's full of good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's forbearance. It's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and 
Self-control, Galatians 5, we've read that. God's wisdom is also impartial and sincere. In other words, it isn't ambiguous or two-sided or partisan. It's straightforward. So, real quickly, in your decision-making, in your lives, when you make decisions, when things are up, is your wisdom of God? Is it godly wisdom? Is it pure? Or is it of man? Is it self-seeking? Trying to get more ambition? Is it full of greed and all these things? Think about it. This is kind of a little bit step up when we're thinking here, isn't it? This lens through which James is talking about. So are our lives marked by God's wisdom or man's? And verse 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I want God's wisdom to prevail in my life. I want to sow in peace and reap righteousness in my life, right standing with God. I want to be right with the Lord in what I do and how I act. I want to reap that. I don't want to reap destruction. Don't be fooled. If you, if you sow according to the flesh, if you sow according to selfishness, you're going to reap destruction. That's not right. We don't want that. What happens when we don't live and apply God's wisdom to our lives? Well, we do what mankind is prone to do, our default. Right? Verse 1, chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? (laughs) Don't they come for your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, and so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Why can't we just all get along? For a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't get along when we fail to live a life that is submitted to the Holy Spirit, when we don't abide in Christ. As human beings, our default, our nature, is sinful, and it's marked by selfishness. You know, me first, right? Paul in Galatians chapter 5 lays out the scenario of being led by the Spirit, not being led by the Spirit. You know, having that works of the flesh displayed in your life or having, you know, the fruit of the Spirit as you abide in Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and read it for us again as a, just a refresher course. In chapter 5, verse 16, I'll read it for you. It says, so I say, Paul speaking to a bunch of kind of legalistic Christians, but that's... uh, just take it right here, what I'm saying. Just let the Lord speak to you. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify, you are not going to give in and please the desires of the flesh. And he explains what the desires of the flesh are. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Anybody have that going on? Desire what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want to do. Gosh, that's my life. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, Pastor Paul, what does it look like when I'm led by the flesh? Here we go. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Get ready. Hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, who continually, habitually live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul, what should my life look like as I abide in Christ? 
Well, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love. That agape love, that unconditional giving, uh, giving love, the love that gives in spite of what you want. Those who belong to Christ will, will experience these things. Love. It'll be a fruit in their life. It'll just happen as you're abiding in the vine. You don't need to work to produce these things. You abide in Christ and they happen. They flow in your life. Love. Enjoy. Peace. Forbearance. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Hey, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another in envy. That's fleshly stuff. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that are battling in you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Unmet desires. Anybody have unmet desires in your lives? Anyone? Just me. Okay. Here we go again. The desire for money. You know? Is that a bad thing? We know that the desire for money is the root of all evil, right? All kinds of evil. But money, you know, to pay the bills and to take care of people and to, to give? To be a blessing? Or is it the root greed there? To have more? To attempt to fill that desire? It'll never be filled like that. How about sex? The God-given desire, but very dangerous and destructive outside of the confines of marriage and the prescription of love that he has in the, in the scriptures, of thinking of others before yourselves. Very destructive. That can be the deepest blessing. How about power? Desire for power or control. Why? So that you can have it your way or so that you can be a blessing to others like Joseph. You can be used as a, as a person, a man or a woman of God. When God gives you authority, you can be in a position of great blessing and give to people and meet people's needs. Love. We all want love, right? But what kind of love? Many in this culture are, think love is a self-gratification. You know, that sensual type of Aries type of love. The scripture is self-gratifying. You know, we're all faced with various desires, but how, we, how do we deal with them? Do we have God's wisdom? Are, we, are our desires submitted to Christ and His Lordship and His wisdom, or are we submitted to the Lordship of our desires? I wrote that down for myself. Are, we, are our desires, are they submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Or are we submitted to the lordship of our desires? Who's Lord? You know? What rules your life? Who rules your life? 
Are we constantly reacting to a bunch of desires or are we crucifying those things and laying them before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, this is what it is. Search out my heart and tell me, Lord, what it is that you would have me to do in this circumstance. I submit to you no matter what I feel like. I want to bring you glory. I love you, Lord. Are we killing to get? Are we coveting and then quarreling with each other because we don't have? Why aren't your desires met? Good question. Many different aspects of the answer to that, but James says in verse 5, you, don't, you do not have because you don't ask God. One of the reasons. You don't have because you don't ask God. You are empty and you're lacking and you're trying to satisfy your soul apart from the source of life. Any of us done that? Trying to satisfy your personal needs, these deep desires and wants or fears, apart from Him and His provision. You're trying to go out in the world and and fix it yourself. And so you get hooked up in this relationship thinking you're going to be satisfied. In the end, it wasn't of Him. The timing was off. You messed up. You know what I'm saying? And you're reaping the whirlwind. Coveting, you know? Going out and trying to get what other people have. And so you spend your life and you're trying to get all these, this money or whatever it is apart from God and His blessings. We're empty. We end up empty and destroyed. It's only a matter of time before we become severely wounded by our sin. Anyone weary because you're trying to satisfy your own soul? Anybody in this room weary? Okay, five. (laughs) You know, the things that won't satisfy you, you know, how many of you, when you went after something, you find out that soon it's just shallow and it's empty and now you're weary? It was thrilling in the beginning, but now it's just, ah, kills. Anyone in here have soul fatigue? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to the Lord instead of trying to satisfy your soul in that ungodly relationship, in that financial endeavor, and whatever it is. You know what it is. He knows what it is. Go to the source of life. God knows your needs. Newsflash. He knows your needs. He knows what you want and he knows what you need. He knows what's best for you. He knows how to satisfy the desires of your hearts. He knows how to do that. Now here's the catch. He knows how to satisfy the desire of your heart when it's His will. When it's His will. No, that takes the fun out of it, God. No, verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it. You may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You want to spend it on self. So many times we go to God and we ask in this manner, God, 
Let me win the lottery. Come on now, Lord. (laughs) I'm just using this as an example. God doesn't answer. So we decide to go off and go ahead and make that answer happen. And we end up gambling or doing some other crazy thing that ends up destroying us even more. Devastating our personal finances and our family and all these types of things. Take whatever scenario you want. You want to get married. Oh God, I want to be married. Not yet, daughter. Well, I'm just going to go do it. I can't wait. This isn't the one, daughter. And you go ahead and you do it. And we've had friends like that. No matter how much you tell them, how just to wait, wait. You haven't been to the other side yet. Wait. There's a lot more to it than just the surface. There's relationship involved. There's sacrifice. There's dying of self or great misery. Potential for great blessing or great distress. You know, the fact is the reason why God doesn't answer is probably because it's not His will, but probably because you can't handle it in the first place. You can't even handle the money that you have. Why is he going to give you a million dollars? And, and, and by the way, where, where's your dependence when that happens? Your dependence goes away from the Lord. Very few people in this world can handle riches and handle a relationship with the Lord. God has gifted some people with that, and I admire them. But that's dangerous. The Lord warns about it. He says, be careful desiring more than you have. Be content with what you have. If God gives you more, praise the Lord, but keep Him first, amen? That's great, but our, our, our pursuit shouldn't be in greed, based out of greed to get more, to satisfy it. Our pursuit should be, Lord, You are my treasure. You are my reward. And whatever You give and whatever You provide, I will learn to be content. As Paul talked about, I've learned to be content when I was naked. I've learned to be content with much. But it's all in Him. It's a hard place to be. When you ask, you did not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasure. You know, the purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want Him to do, but rather to get you to do what He wants. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want Him to do, but to line up our hearts with what He wants. That's not fun for the flesh. That's why so many of us don't want to pray. That's why so many of us are so discouraged in prayer. This is because we're doing right here what James is talking about. We're asking for our own desires to get things met in our own lives. We're seeking our kingdom and not His. Friends, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when He comes into your your life, I even... When He becomes everything, when He makes you new and you love Him and He loves you and He's alive in you and your life changes and you're dividing and you know He's real and that relationship has happened and it is happening. You become sons and daughters of the living God whether you know it or not. And as His children in His his kingdom, it now becomes all about what He wants. We died. 
Now it's all about what he wants. And it's like we were born into this new world as babies and we're learning to imitate and mimic our father. We're learning to find out what pleases him and, and what makes him happy. And as we grow in him, we, we, we begin to discover more and more about his life and about his kingdom and the way it works, not where we came from. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And when this clicks in the hearts of the believers, prayer becomes absolutely exciting. When you realize that God beckons you to come to him and ask him to do his will, and he wants to answer that, and to pour out his resources and his riches through you to accomplish his will, it gets exciting. People get pulled out of the pit of hell. Addictions are broken. Resources are unleashed. People are saved. Marriages are restored. Children come back. God does something. Why isn't anything happening? I think part of it is, where are we, church? What are our priorities? What are our motives? What's the church in America all about? I ask these questions. What's my life all about? What am I asking for? It starts here. What am I concerned with? Is it about your will, which it seems so difficult, but when it happens, it's so glorious? And you long for more of it, but it's just fleeting, like the children of Israel, our hearts just kind of go back to what we were doing. We forget. I long for that. When you see him move in your life as you pray and he begins to answer and that relationship is reinforced and it's just real, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like There's an experience on earth that will compare to that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he knows your soul. He knows what you're made for. He clicks you, takes you places and, and does things with you and, and breaks your heart and gives you his heart and get, takes out that heart of stone and puts his heart and now you start to see people the way that he sees them and your heart breaks for them and you look at this community and you realize, man, there's some people around here who are really hurting and, and I could be a blessing to them. And it doesn't stop there. You actually go and do something about it in the name of Jesus. And you step out in faith looking at this thing and going, this is an impossibility. How is this going to happen? But I know, Lord, I know in my heart of hearts that this is what you've called me for. And as you step out, God provides. And you give him glory. And people see it. And who gets the glory? God. It's not about how I organize my ministry and my army and all this stuff. It's just about the Lord. It's about him. And we look at him and go, yes, amen, God is alive. You do your works in such a manner that when the world sees you, they glorify your Father in heaven, you know? When we ask and we don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, don't you know that God is jealous for you? He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to learn from Him and to bless you and to use you to accomplish His will. And in that, you're going to be satisfied like you've never been satisfied before. Your purpose, your calling is in Christ. It's in Him alone. Or does your life 
and your love for this world and its things choke out your love for him? Are you feeling choked this morning? The relationship with the Lord isn't right. There's just a guilt thing there. There's something going on. It's just you're double-minded. You're distracted. But he gives more grace, verse 6. Thank you, Lord. That's why the scriptures say God opposes the proud but shows favor or grace to the humble. He resists the attitude that lives for this present world in man's kingdom where self is king. He resisted. If you're living for self, you're resisted by God. But he gives grace to the humble, those who humble themselves, who give, you know, grace is giving us what we don't deserve. I know there's so many different definitions, but he just pours out his love on us because we don't even deserve it. We haven't even earned it. He longs to do that for the heart that is humble before him. No matter how messed up you are, he longs to love you. So if God resists the proud, he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. If he does that, what should happen? What is our response? Humble ourselves. So submit yourself to God, verse 7, and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So submitting our lives to God, it's kind of synonymous with resisting the devil. The devil would seek to have you believe that you can find joy and peace and love apart from Jesus Christ. That you can have your soul and your purpose satisfied apart from Christ. That is a lie. And he will use whatever things are in his arsenal. He knows you to draw you away from the king of kings. He will entice you with whatever little shiny things you will follow. He comes to you and he lies. He's seeking to draw you away through various methods. He knows you have a desire. The enemy knows you have a desire for that relationship and so he's going to dangle it in front of your face. He knows you have potential for these areas and he's just going to dangle what Whatever it is, he's going to entice you away from the Lord. In the end, this is going to lead to death. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will get lost. You know, half the time we don't even discern when the devil's operating. We really don't. But the longer you, 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 you are abiding in Christ, you just kind of know when that creep is around. When he is doing his thing, there's confusion, there's agitation, there's divisiveness, there's just a, a frustration that goes on. That's, that's his mark. Seeks to destroy you, and he knows how to do it. Satan has sought to sift you as wheat, Peter, but I have prayed for you. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, amen? Our only hope. So the main thing is not spending our time figuring out what the devil's doing. We know he's pretty evil. But our main thing is abiding in Christ. Getting back to Jesus. Returning to our first love, right? Submitting to God. Drawing near to him. Resist the urge to give in, to meet your own desires, and and put it in the Lord's hand and trust Him. Put on praise music in your house. You're feeling attacked, gloomy. Don't just mope and put on the sad music. Put on praise music. Do the opposite. Start worshiping the Lord, singing to Him, even if you don't feel like it. 
Call out to him in prayer. Cry out. Say what's going on in your heart to him. Get rid of the fleshly things in your life. Stop listening to the ungodly music that keeps pumping into your life. Turn it off. Abide in Christ. This is not legalism. It's love. You abide in Christ. We abide in Christ. And let the Holy Spirit bring these things up in our lives. Pray together. Hang out with your family. These things that need to happen. How the enemy would begin to attack you even more when you do this, but you know what? Cling to the Lord and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Seeker-friendly James here. (laughs) Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Knock it off. Stop it unbecoming that's not who you are or is it recognize that your heart is divided and repent I have an undivided heart I mean I have a divided heart I'm double minded Lord I'm I'm going after these things and and my heart isn't for you wash your hands we're dirty before the Lord sometimes you know He's cleansed us. Yes, we're born again, but this is obviously speaking to a a symbolic Jewish washing. But basically just saying, you know, get it right. You're dirty. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, you know. He's just saying, get right. Stop doing what you've been doing and living a double life and, and all this type of stuff. And start living for the Lord. He loves you. His arms are open wide. Come back to Him. He is the satisfaction you're longing for. It's not okay to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work like that. You cannot serve God and mammon. He wants you all in. He doesn't like lukewarm. He wants a fiery Christian. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are those who mourn for you will be comforted. What does that mean? Just to cry? No, that mourning over sin, that recognition. When God's presence is here, we recognize this sinfulness. Oh, I'm a a man who is of unclean lips and I'm a people of unclean lips. We're messed up before you, Lord. Oh, but he comes in and he cleanses us and he lifts us, humble ourselves before him, confess it, call it out the way it is, and he will lift you up. We don't purify ourselves. He purifies us. He cleanses us. He makes us right again with him. He will lift your heart. We humble ourselves. The Lord in his grace, he lifts us up. He cleanses us. How we need to be lifted up from this mess again, amen? If the Lord's been speaking to you this morning, you know, let His Holy Spirit do His work. Don't push it away. Let Him do His work. Don't resist in rebellion. Confess your sin to the Lord. Lord, it's true. I've done this. I've been like this. It's wrong. I've hurt people. It's not right. But going after these things, I've been meeting my own desires in these ways, and it's sin before you. Forgive me, Lord God. 
Cleanse me. Make me sensitive to your spirit again. Break my heart. And as we close, just think about what the Spirit's been speaking to us about. Just close your eyes for a minute. Just reflect. What's the fruit? Are we using godly wisdom in our lives? Our lives pure? Are we peaceable? Are we considerate? Or are we full of envy and jealousy and selfish ambitions? What are our desires? How do we meet them? Are we a quarrelsome people? Are we coveting? Are we wanting what everybody else has? Are we complaining if we don't get it and maliciously attacking others with our words and actions? How about prayer? Just think, have we been asking God for what we want or just saying, Lord... Here I am with all my things, you know it, but I'm here to do your will today. Are we double-minded? Are we saying we're Christians, but our lives aren't showing it? As James already admonished us in verse 8, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Father, we come before you and we ask for your cleansing touch in our lives. By your spirit, change us. Create a desire in us to long to be with you. Father, show us the emptiness of what we're involved in that's not for you. Show us the futility of it. that it's just temporary and that you are the solution, the long-term fix, your life. Lord, help us put on that yoke of yours, Lord Jesus. You're gentle. We need you to be tender with our souls, Father, and to lead us in your paths of righteousness. Lead us away gently, Lord, from the sin, Lord, that we've been in. Cause us to change. Impart your wisdom by your spirit to your church, Lord. And just take a moment and in your heart of hearts, if you feel prompted, just speak to the Lord in your own heart about these matters. We're just going to have a few minutes of silence. Thank you, Lord. Cause your face to shine upon us, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge, uh, when you judge the law... You, do, and you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are to judge, who are you to judge your neighbor? Only one lawgiver, one judge. Let's just love each other. Amen? <laughs> All right. God bless you. Take care.